Welcome back to this week's episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. Colin is absent this week, so I am hosting. I got Nick on here. How's it going? Well, I'm really excited to talk about the epic conclusion to our, our favorite movie franchise, The Kissing Booth. So I'll be holding back tears for that part of the podcast. <laughs> oh my God. That was, that was the movie of the weekend. But in all seriousness, I mean, that is serious, but in all seriousness, it's we very, do have... It's very serious. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> we had a pretty packed weekend in terms of movies. Um, in addition to, I mean, Kissing Booth 3 came out on the Wednesday, so it's been kind of taken over the whole week of the movie sphere. <laughs> but uh, in addition to that, uh, Free Guy, uh, the new Ryan Reynolds uh, film dropped, uh, as well as Respect and Don't Breathe 2. So all three of those came out exclusively in theaters this weekend. And uh, I think it'll be fun to jump into these. I think we have pretty similar thoughts on some of them, but uh, I'm excited to get into the conversation. I think we should kick it off with Free Guy, which did overperform at the box office this weekend. It was expected to do 15 to 20. It came out with 28 million. So that's a, it's it's not massive numbers, but in this pandemic era, it's quite successful for a movie that's completely, I guess, for the most part, original, not based on any pre-existing IP. Yeah, and this was also one of those that was supposed to come out, I don't know, whenever it was supposed to come out, but we've been seeing just so much marketing material for it. It's been pushed, what, five times? I feel like it's one of those that, I mean, so many movies have been pushed, but this is one of the more prominent ones that, like, there's been so much, like, hubbub around it moving because they've made a big deal about it. And then Ryan Reynolds comes out as Deadpool to promote the movie, which was very odd. Uh, but, yeah, I feel like it ended up doing, I guess, fine for a Delta variant filled world. I don't know. <laughs> I think that you really can't sneeze at almost 30 million in, in this context. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for starters, it outperformed the Suicide Squad, which, I mean, that was on HBO Max. So there are a lot of variables and factors mixed yeah. in here. But I think the free guy estimations of 15 to 20 were always naive. I thought that was always too low. Like, this movie's been in the kind of circulation for the better part of a year and a half now, marketing-wise. Maybe even more than that. Was it... It was supposed to to come out summer 2020, and it's just had several delays, but the marketing has been kind of being pumped out at least since early 2020. I want to say it was supposed to be a May release originally of last year. I can't remember. It definitely was a summer thing, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, and then Ryan Reynolds has been all over the place talking about his vodka or whatever he makes. Yeah. And then also (laughs) Deadpool as watching did you see that where it was like he was reacting to the trailer as deadpool and korg was next to him i mean i guess that makes sense because taika was in the movie as well but just uh they tried something it was very very odd but whatever ryan (laughs) Ryan reynolds just is deadpool at this point so it's fine (laughs) yeah pretty much um and i mean it's it's yeah i always thought those estimates were naive though because obviously you have all that then the icing on the cake i think was the great reviews um yeah like this Mm -hmm. is a movie that I, from months out, thought was either going to be complete garbage or really re- really well-received. And I think it did skew towards that really well-received end of things. I think it's over 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, I just it, it just seems like a, a movie that critics enjoyed. The word of mouth was good. And with that A Cinema score, uh, the, which, I mean, Cinema score, you take it or leave it. it. It is what it is. But it is a snapshot of that opening night reaction and people seem to like it um so yeah i i was not i mean i i thought this thing would do over 20 and it did 28 um and as you said in this kind of delta variant uh delta variant world right now it's it, it's a pretty strong number 
Yeah, it is, and it's kind of one of those. It's uh, like I don't want to say it's the ultimate four quadrant movie, but it it strives to be that where you can kind of bring in anyone and they'll probably like it to some degree. I mean, there are nitpicks to have with this movie, obviously, but it is kind of one of those studio created kind of made by like a lot of focus groups but it turned it out it turned out to be okay in the end you know where it's just kind of nice and it's there and it won't yeah it won't hurt anybody's feelings (laughs) i agree i mean with that let's like jump right into it so um this like i think what you said there it perfectly sums up how i felt about this movie like it's it's a movie that it's completely enjoyable and fine it's not awful it's not fantastic in my opinion and it is a movie that i do agree with you that you could probably find anybody bring them in and they'll they'll have a good time with it as you said um there's there's i wouldn't say there's a ton to pick out here but i think it is something that we should discuss considering it is uh probably the biggest movie of the weekends what were your initial takeaways uh on the positive side of things yeah i i was surprised at how much this movie and we'll talk later about how it's a lot about the movies about movie making itself, but it's kind of it's it's really trying to be a sweet movie with a sweet message, you know, about all walks of life and being happy and being free. And I wasn't I don't know if I was really expecting that coming from this. I mean, it's not this isn't a fucking Bergman movie, you know, like it's not it's not some super deep thing, but I just thought it was going to be two hours of Ryan Reynolds being Deadpool as a mm-hmm. non-player character because um, that's what it's, it's what it looked like from the trailers but no it's like this kind of sweet uh sometimes a little weird in terms of the romantic side of things we'll get into that as well too but um it's really kind of going to try to tug on your heartstrings a little bit so uh i thought that was successful in parts and i kind of appreciated that and then ryan reynolds is playing this he, he has like the he has like, because I feel like his Deadpool, it's like a lovable douchebag kind of thing. And he has that dial turned down way low for this one. So he has the kind of the same quippy Ryan Reynolds-y um, like, like repartee because that's just what he does in every movie. But his character is super like uh, earnest and like kind of nice. You know, his character is very, very nice. And it's very good. You know, that's the kind of the whole point of his character. So... I thought it worked kind of well, you know? It's a, it's a little different from what he normally is, but it, I thought it was nice. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, he's kind of a... I wouldn't call him a lovable loser. I wouldn't say he's a loser in this, and especially for a lot of the runtime, he's a hero. Yeah. Um, but I think he's kind of a... It seems like for some of it, he's kind of a fish out of water. There's a little bit of, like... Uh, a little bit of innocence to his character, yeah. and um, he, was, he was pretty sweet. Um, for me, a, a big positive takeaway, I mean, Jody... Uh, Comer was great. However, mm-hmm. I will say the greatest takeaway was the last dual trailer, which played before the movie, um, <laughs> and, and seeing her in that, which uh, looked great. And I turned away because I didn't want to see the whole trailer. But uh, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Are you keeping that one to yourself? You're going to go in blind for that one? Is that what you're trying uh, to do? I think for the most part. I watched the House of Gucci trailer, talking to two Ridley Scots. I watched that trailer because <laughs> I knew it was going to be... Uh, two minutes of entertainment in itself, you know, but I want to kind of be shocked with the last duel, but have you seen the trailer? Cause the way it opens, is pretty cool with the, yeah, with the yeah, shapes yeah. and square. I don't That's know. Cool. It's just kind of, yeah, it's nice, but let's jump into the movie. Cause I think she's probably the standout here. And I think a lot of people agree. Um, she's got, she kind of plays uh, Ron Reynolds love interest in, in the film in a way, you know, if, if you do want to say a, uh, 
and uh, PC has a love interest, maybe. Uh, but I, th I think she was the standout here. She seemed to be having a lot of fun with this role, and um, she, she definitely was, was the best part of the film for me. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually seen her before, before this movie, because I know she's big on Killing Eve, which is, her, is the big show that I think has kind of catapulted her into a lot of these roles that we're seeing from her coming out now. But other than that, I really, I don't know if I've really seen anything that she's been in. I know she's done a lot of TV and stuff like that, but mm -hmm. she's, she's really charming. Like her character is kind of insane when you read it on the page because <laughs> she's falling in love with this NPC, you know, and every time she puts a headset on, it looks hilarious because she's this beautiful actress trying to be this nerd. It's very, very funny. Um, but yeah, I just really haven't seen her before. And she's just, she just works. She's really funny. Uh, like, I think she's even funnier than Ryan Reynolds in a lot of parts. And she's also, she's doing some subtle, they're not subtle, but she's doing some interesting things that give her character a little more detail than you would normally see. Because she, she the, one of the fun things with her character is that they have an accent filter on when she's in the game. So she's talking in, uh, like, her British accent or Australian, like Ryan Reynolds makes a joke with that. So she's talking in that accent, but she has her American accent outside of the game and she's doing like all these fun little things that I thought were really really charming for this kind of movie yeah yeah 100% I agree as well I, I haven't seen her anything I mean I know she was in uh Star Wars I because I checked her filmography before the movie she was in the Rise of Skywalker probably as a I don't even remember probably a really small it says Ray, Ray's sorts. mother so okay yeah. Interesting. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't remember Rise of Skywalker at all. Pretty much. So <laughs> no. So yeah, it does seem like she is kind of breaking out onto the big screen now. Uh, obviously, with this and the Last Duel coming out in the same year, I think it's gonna. I mean, sight unseen with that, it, it seems like they're gonna be pushing her heavily for that movie. Um, she's on the cover of the Last Duel, on the poster. Um, so it does seem like she. I mean, it's it, it's cool to show. She's she's showing that versatility here already, jumping out early in her career on the big screen. Um, yeah, she was fun though. And pointing out the, uh, the language filter there, I, I did enjoy just a, a lot of the ways this movie utilized video games and just kind mm -hmm. of, um, and, and just kind of the way, uh, video games are, you know, I, th I thought it was pretty cool. Obviously you have not going to get into big spoiler territory, but, um, what, when the players go into the games, because that's what, uh, Jodie Comer's character is a player. She's playing this game that Ryan Reynolds is in. They they have sunglasses on, right? And you have uh, a moment where Ryan Reynolds' character there puts on sunglasses, so he kind of gets the view of a player. I thought that was pretty cool, and, and, and just the way that was uh, dealt with throughout the film uh, comes up a lot later on. But yeah, it's it's I, I like those parts of the movie for sure. Yeah, there's been a lot of video game movies recently that aren't based on anything. Like, you had both Jumanji movies, and you could say Ready Player One as well. Um, but the thing I like about this movie, I think you're right, is I think this is the one that leans most into the video game logic of it all. Where, like, the Jumanji movies, they're fun. Like, they're just supposed to be comedies where The Rock gets to act like Kevin Hart or Danny DeVito. You know, like, they're like, that's what they're there for. They're not, like, don't really think about them too hard. But, like, the part of those where it's, like, they... Like, they don't really do much with the video game logic in those movies, except, like, oh, they have three lives, and they'll die. But, like, there's a lot of really fun stuff in this one where even where 
like when Jodie Comer was putting guns away, like they just like dissolve into her back, like you would see in yeah. like like Call of Duty when you're switching guns, like they just go into like like so they just yeah. disappear. Yeah, like right because they don't feel like like animating all that stuff. And I thought that all that stuff is really fun. They make fun with like glitches and all these like like people wearing ridiculous costumes, like because of all their skins that they buy for the games and yeah. I thought all that stuff was really fun. Um, like I was actually really surprised how much they actually utilized all of that logic to it because it, it works really well and they actually like try to incorporate it basically like in every frame in the in the actual like game of it all. So I thought that thought that was really cool. Yeah, how do you feel about uh, Taika Waititi's character? Because I feel like he's been the one most heavily criticized with the early reactions this weekend. He's very over the top, and I didn't have a huge issue with it. Um, but uh, what what's your what's your uh, feeling on that? Yeah, I can get that. I feel like he's he, I feel like he's too weird and interesting to be this kind of villain in a in a free guy movie. You know what I mean? Like he is like he's going to try too many things and be too bizarre so where he really can't play it like like your stereotypical goofy villain. You know, like he's going to be just doing weird stuff. And some of it actually worked for me because I think he has a lot of weird, like, not nervous energy. It's like awkward energy to him, which makes a lot of his, like, what we do in the shadows and all that early stuff really, really funny to me. But, like, there's the one thing where he's, like, he tries to, like, jump up when he's laying on the ground or something like that. You remember he's, like, he, like, can't do it. I thought that stuff was funny. But then there's, like, other parts where he does, like, the, like, what, what are you talking about, Willis? kind of thing it's like it's like oh no like 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 taika don't do that <laughs> so yeah I, I felt that way i feel like i mean he's done like he's about to do his second marvel movie soon so maybe it's not the best critique ever but like i feel like he sh- he is he should be off doing more weird stuff like I don't, I don't think it's like totally suited to what he's good at yeah um i agree there um i do want to also also point out just uh reflecting quickly on director here sean levy his career has been kind of interesting because just looking at what he's done aside from stranger things just looking more at film i feel like he's always been the one to do the bigger studio movies that aren't kind of super woven into pre-existing ip obviously you have he, he directed the pink panther um but i think the night in the museum movies were kind of refreshing when they came out same with Real Steel back when that came out, and now Free Guy. I just feel like he's he's kind of been a director who um, tries to do something a little bit more original than what we generally see. Yeah, he's one of these guys who he's probably great to work with. Like he probably is. I mean, he's doing taking on all of these studio projects, so he's probably really good at working with executives and whatnot, and probably very willing to take notes. But yeah, I feel like all of these movies are. Well, most of them probably are, like, better than they have any, like, they, they shouldn't be that good. You know, like, Real Steel probably shouldn't be watchable, and it's pretty watchable, you know? It's pretty good. Hugh Jackman, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It's fun. Um, and stuff like, like, a lot of his movies are just, yeah, they're just, they're kind of like, he's kind of in the in the Jean-Claude Serra mold, you know? with, with uh, He just kind of makes these movies that are just two and a half out of four stars every time. Like, they're probably not good. Like, The Commuter, not that great of a movie, super watchable. And I feel like Sean Levy does the same kind of stuff on this scale. Yeah, I agree. Um, Also, nitpick, big nitpick here. Well, it's not a movie with a ton (laughs) of big nitpicks, but 
something we both uh, agreed with before we jumped on the pod here was this is a movie that kind of at its heart is very much um, anti, you know, big IP. And I won't get into big spoilers and, and kind of spoiling big surprises here, but um, we, we see throughout the char- or throughout the film some of the characters really rail against that notion. And as you said, Taika's villain character in this movie, he's all about sequels. He's all about pumping out sequels and sequels and sequels. That's what people want, as he says. And that and I, I do feel like Free Guy, even in just this summer overall, it's been heavily reliant on IP um, with, with a lot of the big movies that have come out. Um, th- this movie does feel like, at its heart, something different than that. And a lot of the characters push that point in the movie as well but there is one point of this movie where we where, where something happens it's kind of it's it's certainly there to wow the crowd and uh give them kind of some butterflies i guess if you will but uh, i i don't want to spoil it but it is it's something that you and i uh didn't like right away and because it, it goes completely against the philosophy that this movie is trying to lay down and i mean free guys not deep we're not getting into philosophical discussions here, but I do think it is something to note. Yeah, it's the moment you're speaking of is like the big clap moment at the end that they try to make like, and it worked on my audience. They were like, oh, this is amazing. But yeah, it's Taika and the uh, the coder played by Joe Keery. They're gone back and forth the entire time where Joe Keery had this design for whatever his old game. And he wanted to make something new and interesting. And then, yeah, Taika is basically just saying, like, no, like, I'll just give, I'll do Free City 2 and then Free City 3 because people like that. And he has this whole thing about KFC where he's like, if I, I'm at KFC, you wouldn't expect me to serve, like, what is it, like something turkey, you know? Yeah. I forget what the joke is, but he's like, I'm just going to give you KFC. And, yeah, so when every time they're talking about that, they're talking about, you know, movie making, obviously. Um, so, yeah, the, this entire time and, like, you could kind of say that Free Guy is kind of IP-driven. It's really not until, I guess, the end, which we won't spoil. But it's it's kind of its own imaginary world. And it is a little... It is, I agree with you. It is slightly different from the rest, like your Marvels and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the ending, it's it's kind of, it's pretty cheap. I, I get it. It works with, like... It works within the logic of the story, you know? Because in, like... I guess in... Oh, how do I dance around this? In video games, you can kind of pull in random shit from pop culture to your character, and it's just like that's like a, like a skin or like an add-on. You have to like pay five bucks and you get whatever. Um, so it makes sense from that perspective, but like on a thematical level, yeah, it it kind of it kind of takes the air out of the out of the sales. It's pretty lame. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, we'll see. Uh, I think Ryan Reynolds broke the news today. Disney wants to potentially look into a sequel. So. Oh, there you go. There's that. It's even more against it, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's that as well. Um, also, just before we do leave the free guy talk, a lot of interesting cameos in here. Um, oh, I'm so excited about this. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if we we should jump into all of them. I think there's one that is kind of pops up in the movie a ton, so we'll jump on that one. Uh, but there are a lot of interesting ones. A lot of uh, uh, there's one classic uh, Canadian folk that pops up in there, um, a legendary game show host. Uh, but then, <laughs> then you also have a lot of uh, internet gamers that are pretty popular that kind of pop up in here, um, very surprisingly. And then obviously you got the one and the only Channing Tatum that comes in and plays a – he's not in the movie a ton, but he, he's in it for a couple scenes for sure. 
Channing Tatum is my favorite part of this movie. He is so good. And he's in like two scenes and he is so funny. And we haven't seen him. He hasn't been in a live action movie since 2017. His last role, last live action role was the Kingsman 2. So we haven't, he hasn't been in a movie <laughs> since then. And it's so weird because he's in the first scene of this movie. And he has a shaved head. And you're like, is that? That kind of looks like Channing Tatum. And then he says something. You're like, holy fuck, it is Channing Tatum. And yep. then he comes back later for like a full scene. And he's fucking hilarious. Uh, it's just... It, made, it reminded me that I just really love Channing Tatum. And I think he's always been a way better actor than he gets credit for. I think he's so funny. He's so talented. Good dancer. Gives, gives shows some of his uh, dance, uh, <laughs> yeah, his yeah. dance chops yeah. in this one. Um, just hilarious. I think he's just so so funny, and just going back to the Jump Street movies too. Um, I just I just love him. He was great. <laughs> really good to see him. I miss him so yeah, much. Hundred uh, percent. So that's Free Guy. We'll see how it uh, kind of plays out over the next few weeks. But it does seem like it's going to be a movie that sticks around, especially if Disney's interested in more from this maybe now franchise. Um, so moving on, uh, next thing we, we do have to jump into is a movie that I did not see this weekend, but will see at some point, and that is uh, Respect. Nick, I know you have some choice words for this film. Um, what's what's one thing you really liked about it? Um, Jennifer Hudson's a really good singer. Yeah. She's really and, good. <laughs> and now go into the rest. <laughs> yeah, this movie just uh, it doesn't work. Um, so this is the big... Aretha Franklin biopic. Um, I'm sure this is going to be like positioned for Oscars. And I think the worst part about watching this movie was me immediately thinking about how I'm going to have to talk about this movie for months because Jennifer Hudson's probably going to be in the conversation for best actor uh, or best actress. And then there's going to be like production design stuff. And I don't even think there was a best original song unless Jennifer Hudson did something over the opening over over the end credits. I left immediately after this movie was done, so I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, it's just gonna be it's gonna be one of those kind of like Judy or um, like all these other musical biopics where it's the just like the lead actor is gonna be a front runner for the award. They'll probably win. No one's really happy about it, but uh, it'll happen anyway. So. And it's, it's every year, it's, I mean, with Judy, it was like, it, that movie came out in August, September. And then as, as soon as it came out, everyone was like, oh, that's gonna, that's the best actress uh, races wrapped up. We're done here. And I hope this doesn't happen again. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's not a very good movie. It's not, it's two and a half hours long and makes no coherent points at all. It's just, uh, it's sad because Aretha Franklin is such a fascinating character or figure. Right. And someone I really don't know much about if i'm being honest like i i love her music she's an icon obviously um but there's just from like the way that this movie there's so many different threads that this movie pulls at where like someone ducks in for two minutes and you're like wow that's a good idea for a movie and then the it just gets rid of that idea there's a really good example where i didn't know this but um aretha franklin was uh, really or helped out uh, Martin Luther King a lot during the civil mm. rights movement um, in terms of just like doing like shows and really like just like continuing his work and his words. And I didn't know about the, a lot about that. I think that's fascinating. Think about like a movie with those two coming together and they have one conversation early on in the movie and then 
like fast forward a decade or so, she's doing a show in like Madison Square Garden, and Martin Luther King uh, presents her on stage, and he's like, uh, over the years, I could never. I always thank uh, Aretha for all the work she's done for the cause and um, how she's always there when I call her. And this is like the second time we've seen them together on screen. And this is like an hour after the first conversation. So it's so bizarre how it's this really interesting idea for something that could have been an entirely own, like it's mov- like a movie in and of its own. And it just the movie kind of just brushes up against it and then just gets rid of it and goes on to something else. It's a lot of that this entire time where it doesn't really hang with anything long enough to make a coherent point about it. And then it drastically shifts into something else so it's just kind of like it leaves aretha honestly as the as the least um developed character in the entire movie Uh, for for the most part her arc is kind of like she's finding her voice she's very young it's kind of a very stereotypical start with her as a kid and go throughout her career and the idea is, oh, she's still finding her voice, and her career started with not a ton of hits. She had like nine or ten albums before she really struck it big. So, in a way, you can see where that makes sense, where she's this young artist um, singing songs that other people have written, and she's trying to develop her own style. Um, but the way the movie presents it as she's basically a mouthpiece, or kind of just like a pawn for other characters to move around and use. And it really doesn't ever double back on that and say like that wasn't good so it's a very it's very unsavory to watch it and she's just Mm -hmm. kind of moving around not really doing much jennifer hudson i i would say the performance her singing is unbelievable obviously she's jennifer hudson but i would i would say her performance isn't great but i don't think it's her fault because i don't think the movie gives her a lot to do because she's just kind of standing there and then marlon waynes plays the stereotypical abusive spouse and he's the one getting most of the attention and she just kind of has to react to everything he does and then interesting yeah it's just it's weird it, it really it, it really only defines her by her abuse and then that's really about it and then that's kind of what we've seen a lot lately in a lot of these biopics and it's yeah it, it, it can be frustrating yeah because there's there's two versions of these musical biopics both of which i don't really am a huge fan of but there's the one like Bohemian Rhapsody where they kind of like put a blanket over everything where it's like, nah, Queen's fine. Like they did nothing crazy because Queen was so heavily involved in the making of that movie. So they can't really dive into how crazy and kind of like insane a lot of their stuff was. Uh, then you have one like this where it's kind of like it's it's almost like uh, like they really it's almost like abuse porn in a way where it's like they really like hammer home how troubled these people are without giving any greater context to it. I think I was thinking a lot of the United States versus Billie Holiday as well, where that movie yeah. is really, it really lives in how much it wants to show uh, Billie Holiday's abuse, but doesn't really do anything with it. So it creates this really just grotesque and un, like, like unenjoyable thing to watch. And so this movie doesn't go quite that hard with it, but it does present, um, it has a lot of those same issues to me so it's and it's two and a half hours long i really don't know what it's trying to say at all i think it's i think it's really trying to just celebrate aretha's life and career but i don't think it does anything coherent to do that so it's kind of for me i just did not enjoy watching this movie and it's sad because i kind of like i do like the idea of it a lot there's a lot of cool things you could make this movie about and aretha franklin's awesome you know she's 
an amazing person. So it's a bummer. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of been the that's kind of been the trend with a lot of these movies. It sucks, but that's just kind of been the way it has been, and we'll probably continue to see it be that way. Um, yeah, and it's the same thing too, where it's like, oh, she just got beaten by her uh, by Marlon Wayne, so she starts singing um, the Otis Redding version of Respect that she later. Um, uses to make her version of respect where she's she's like the next scene it's cut to she's in her house and she's singing that song like with her family and it's like oh okay i get it i get what you're trying to do movie (laughs) you know it's it approaches that stuff too where it's like oh painstakingly this is what the reason was behind these songs and it makes it very very obvious and contrived um not as bad as uh do you remember in bohemian rhapsody where they're all arguing and then one of the bassists starts laying down the bass line for another one bites the dust and they write the song in like a minute. <laughs> I, I think do that's, the, that. that's the most egregious version of this. It doesn't happen in this quite that level, thankfully. But it's uh, it's not very good. It's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember that indeed. Um, so that is respect. We'll probably, as you said, be talking about this for months to come. Maybe I, re- we'll I really don't. I really don't want to though. I don't. I doubt. I doubt we'll be revisiting it until at least November, December though. So that 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 is that. I guess. Take- <laughs> I know. I don't know. It's just. I'm just. This was the first wave for me in the very stereotypical Oscar bait movies that we get every year, and this one I was just because it was just so long. It, it really just like, I was like, yeah. oh my gosh. I'm early gonna... August too. This is a pretty yeah, early launch. It's, it just was not, maybe, who knows, maybe I'm being a grump, but uh, <laughs> I, I do tend to be a grump on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, I, it just wasn't for me. I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I like everyone involved, but um, yeah, maybe it didn't work. We can jump in now to the other wide release this weekend, which was Don't Breathe 2. The sequel to the kind of surprise smash hit, if you will, Don't Breathe, which just was kind of, you know, a refreshing, in a way, thriller that came out five years ago now. Like, I remember going to see this in theaters just with, like, a bunch of friends just for something to do. And we all came out going, wow, that was pretty good, that first movie. Um, it, it was it was kind of just a surprisingly good thriller. And it caught on, and it made a ton of money on, at the box office for for a horror thriller and here we are five years later with the sequel don't breathe Two. kind of a weird sequel i remember how good that movie the first movie was until the end when they tried to kind of spin in a sequel and now here we are we have this sequel um yeah what was your what was your thoughts there on on this this movie yeah uh, not great not a very good movie uh, i'm with you where i love the first don't breathe i think it's really good like a really really good movie i feel like a quiet place kind of took its um crown a little bit in the movie that made everyone just shut up in the theater you know like it was an amazing movie theater movie it was a great super tense everyone you're paying attention the entire time no one's making a sound because it's so quiet and it just silenced the entire time and really fucked up movie, like really, really <laughs> fucked up. Like it gets, it has some, it gets increasingly worse too. It gets some, it, there's some of the more fucked up things I've seen in a movie, of, like in like a wide release movie in like a really long time. Um, but and the movie, it's like subtly a really good like uh, class, um, like a lot of really good thematic ideas about class and 
class disparity and because it takes place in Detroit in this really a rough area. And yeah, and the the blind guy played by Stephen Lang is a piece of shit. <laughs> and then this movie turns him into a hero, and it's very very odd, very very odd. <laughs> they, they tried to uh, they 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 tried to take the T two approach with uh, Don't Breathe yeah. two, and you know it just it it doesn't work the same way because of what happened with uh, Stephen Lang's character in the first Don't Breathe uh, Turkey <laughs> yeah, based. Yeah, really. Oh my god. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, going to this movie, you're just probably going to see uh, see some people get messed up, and just because you like the first one, like, I don't know. It's just such a weird sequel to a movie that felt pretty good on its own. It never justifies its existence ever, and I. It's so weird because I felt like I could understand the idea of a sequel to this. Because it seems like what the first one is doing, uh, you can look at it as kind of a like a cheap setup to more movies. But the way I looked at it, it was like it was kind of the, like the creation of a like a Michael Myers esque character, where he's not quite supernatural, but he's not quite human. He's in this weird <laughs> like kind of nothing can kill this guy. Yeah, where nothing can really kill him exactly, and he stands for like that Halloween is pure evil. And this one, you could. You could make so many more ties to class and gentrification, all these kind of things with the blind man as the villain. I feel like that a really good, maybe if Fetty Alvarez, I mean, he wrote this movie, but maybe if he had more of a, if he directed it, I don't know, maybe if he had more of a hand in it. I feel like he could have, they could have spun it that way and it would have worked really well. And they could have been a really cool uh, franchise of sorts. But yeah, this is just kind of a, we liked, people know the, who the blind guy is, so let's make him the hero. And then let's just have people invade his house. And then that's kind of the movie. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and then it's over. Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, got to be happy this one was only 98 minutes, though, as opposed to two and a half hours. Yeah. Wasn't, like, wasn't the original Don't Breathe like 85 minutes? Just super tight. Yeah, it's probably around the same. Yeah. But yeah, yeah this it's, is. Yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, it's it's just, it's like, for me, I didn't, I can't say I hated this movie. I mean, I don't think it had any real reason to happen so just from the get-go it, it loses a point but that being said i did i guess enjoy seeing people fight each other that was cool beat each other up and a lot of gore and stuff some messed up stuff like sure it's a fun time but it, it's just not that good and um even i mean that that first movie had a lot of twists that first movie had a lot of moments where like oh this movie's really changing you know, uh, especially around halfway, then around near the end, there were a lot of uh, big twists in that first one. They try to one-up it here in this sequel with some big moments, uh, and they were just kind of, like, fun. Like, I can't hate it because I laughed and had a good time at <laughs> some of the absurdities, you know? And that that's why I didn't hate this movie, because it is absurd in, in, in some areas, and it kind of makes you laugh. And it does just try to one-up those twists in the first one with some of the choices it makes it's not a great movie at all and it probably shouldn't have been made but it it is here and it's not good but it is not like the worst movie ever <laughs> yeah it's just kind of like a junkie like like you you think about like the ethics of making this character a good guy like that like that it's that'll make your head spin it's not great but, <laughs> I, but as like as like for what it's trying to do like it's pretty reasonably directed like the guy his name i Roto Sayegis, I probably butchered his name so badly there. 
so I apologize. I apologize to him. I, I know he listens to the podcast, but um, <laughs> like he like some of the sequences are pretty well done. There's like a really good wonder when um, these bad people who are what they're part of an organ trafficking ring, right? Is that what it is? Um, yeah. They enter the house to try to steal the girl that the blind guy uh, inexplicably has now. Um, after what we know about him for the first time, the first movie. Um, but yeah, like there's some good filmmaking in it. Um, but yeah, there's some really good unintentional comedy in this movie. Uh, <laughs> the, I want to say the camera moves really well. The camera does move really yeah, well, and it's it, you get the same uh, cinematographer as the first film, and uh, I think it's kind of cool that they they. I'm glad they had him as well because I think in the first movie there are a lot of great sequences uh, just with the way things are framed, the way things are shot. It builds the tension a little bit better. And I do think uh, the movie is shot pretty well. Yeah, I think the first one is a little more inventive in how it uses the house as a space. Like I feel like this one is just a lot of people like around the corner just trying to keep quiet and having their mouth, like putting their hand over their mouth, you know? And the first one, it's like they're hiding in all these things. There's like all these weird little like nooks and crannies in the house. Like, I feel like they blew out a lot of what was in the house to begin with. Like there are all these crazy trap doors and stuff. And this one, there's like two. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm, very bizarre. But um, can I tell you my favorite line from this movie? I I had it actually had me howling <laughs> in my seat. Yeah. yeah so so it's not a spoiler, but there's one guy. That, so the these like the goons come into the house. And one of them almost dies in the hands of the blind guy. Like he like super glues him his mouth shut. It's kind of it's a pretty good sequence. Um, and the, the guy cuts his mouth open, and they look at the wall. And they see his Navy Seal uh, symbol, and they're like, they're like, dude, he's a Navy Seal. And the one guy's like, nah, he's a dead seal, bro. <laughs> Made me laugh. Made me laugh so hard. That was amazing. Honestly, it was worth the price of admission just for that. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god, that was great. That was great. Um, that is "Don't Breathe" too, though. And we're gonna finish it off with kind of saving the best for last. Obviously. Of course, of course. Um, and that is the big Netflix release. Probably, you know, maybe, maybe had the most eyeballs on it this week of all of these movies we talked about. Probably. Um, as many jokes as we will make when we talk about this movie, that's probably very serious. Yeah. I mean, these movies are just like waves. They they take over streaming for the week that they come out, just like big time. So this is The Kissing Booth 3, the end of an era as they put it on the poster. And in my opinion, the worst movie of the three. Um, so the last three years, we have, as an audience, collectively been tortured throughout this process and <laughs> it comes to a conclusion here a very interesting conclusion uh there's a hilarious scene near the end where it shows uh our two main characters the joey king and her best friend they become like five people you remember that oh yeah yeah, yeah. that was so lynchian <laughs> it was really just a lot of just it was just cinema Martin oh Scorsese my god would be proud so the Kissing Booth 3, I know you were anticipating this movie big time. So, Nick, as a fan, <laughs> what was your uh, what, what was your reaction here to this this movie? I'm very happy that now uh, Spencer Henderson has to find a new slant in making fun of me. I don't it's even, over. Honestly, so I guess some people will have no idea what we're talking about. At some point, I don't know how it happened. I think it was I tweeted, why the fuck is Kissing Booth 2 an hour and 50, two hours and 15 minutes? 
because it came out. I hadn't seen the first one. I was like, fuck it. I'm a sociopath who sees everything, so why not? Let's just watch both of them. And I got angry and tweeted something. And then ever since, I feel like Spencer has been gaslighting me into making me believe that The Kissing Booth is my favorite franchise. <laughs> um, and honestly, it's worked. I've I've probably done more harm to myself than fan the flames at all. So here we are. Um, but yeah, these movies are terrible. <laughs> They're very bad. Um, honestly. They try to do, um, like, they, they're, like, copying off of, I don't know, 20 different rom-coms at once. And they even have Molly Ringwald in there, who they have for, like, two days on set. So she can be, like, say two lines and be like, remember when I was in John Hughes movies back in the day? And then she leaves. Uh, yeah, these movies are, there's, I don't even know. They're just so, they're childish and not in a way where it's like they they're dealing with teenagers. Like they're just so like backwards in how they deal with teen issues, and it really feels like like thirty and forty year olds writing eighteen year old characters, where like all they do is like to they like to play video games all the time, and they like say bro, and they have weird catchphrases to each other the entire time. It's just very very weird, and they're all super manipulative and mean to each other in so many different ways and it's one of those movies where like all of the like all of the like the drama comes from people not being able to like 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 from like miscommunications and stuff like that where like things get blown way out of proportion and then people are like so mad and then they have to come together later on for their tearful reconciliation and the movie's over and that's it um but yeah it's just i don't know there's an audience for these movies, but it ain't me. <laughs> uh, it is you. You watched all three. <laughs> That's fair. I did watch all of them. I loved them all. No, That's I'm right. joking. We, we watch them in pain and in because of what we do. We, we like to watch movies. We like to consume all of these films, so we did watch them. And it's the worst of the three because it falls out of so bad it's good territory. The first two, in my opinion, are laughable to watch. They're absurd. This one, to me, was just like really bad and like... It, it, I just, it, it was just really bad. The first two, I, I, I laugh at. Like I, I, I can enjoy the terribleness in the first two, but this one for me was just awful because it was so damn depressing. Every scene, someone's crying, someone's yelling at someone. Um, there's a scene with Joey King there. Her dad has a girlfriend, and she's hanging out, Linda, and she's hanging Linda, out yeah. uh, with them, and she just, they're playing board games, and Joey King just kind of turns to her just crying and just kind of completely chews her out and it's completely cruel it's insane I, i'm like no yeah. one actually does that no one does that unprovoked she's like she doesn't say this but she's basically like you were the worst fucking person i've ever met in my life and i despise everything about you and it's like oh my god like joey king relax like take it down like 15 percent you know, yeah, and, and <laughs> you can tell that the, the actors have a lot less energy in them for this movie. I don't know if you, oh, you agree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you can tell they've tapped out. Like, the first two, they feel like they're into it, you know? Uh, and, and especially the first one with uh, Joey King, and I don't recall her best friend's uh, name there. It's uh, uh, Joel, Joel, Co Joel Courtney. Joel yeah. Courtney, yeah. They have a lot of energy in the first movie. And even the second one, the cast is pretty energized and into it. And you can tell... It feels like a like a three movie deal where now it's the third one and they're just ready to go and it's uh, like they they're ready to go like they're done they're done with this and they are not into it at all 
Um, it's just a really, really bad movie. I'm, I get a lot of uh, Robert Pattinson at the end of Twilight vibes from Jacob Elordi in this movie. He does. He wants to be anywhere else except this movie, and it's really funny because I feel like this is the one one of these movies where he's in it the least. You know, yeah. Where he just does like every time he's on screen, he's it's very clear. He's like, I'm gonna say my lines because I'm professional and I'm pretty good. And I'm gonna get out of here and actually go on to do movies and other things I like because I've seen him in other stuff and I think he's a really good actor and I think he could be. I'm not gonna say he's Robert Pattinson, but I think he could be one of those new like the next wave of you knew him from this really bad teenage thing and he's gonna go on and be a really good actor. Um, he he just does not want to be there. And I think Joey <laughs> King is Joey King is I like her a lot too. I just think she's in so many bad movies. Like she oh, yeah. she needs to get a new agent because I feel like she is. Like a really interesting, different screen presence. Like she's just different from like all the kind of like actresses we have in a lot of ways. And I feel like this movie, like it's just like it just lets her run. You know, she has a lot of energy as an actress, and I like it. But this movie, um, and like all the other ones, where it's just like, all right, dial it up to fifteen and let's go. And it's just her and Joel Courtney just yelling at each other <laughs> for the entire time, and it's so nauseating. And then. This one particularly, but all the other ones where it's like, it's a mo- like it's full of montages to terrible, really cheap alternative songs that Netflix could buy, and then there's one like famous song that they use for a, a scene. You know, I feel like that's been the case for all of these. They have like the "Shut Up and Dance" song in this movie, which is the best song of 2015. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's just a, it's a it that that really screams of like the director was in their car with their 15-year-old five years ago. And they're like, oh, this was a good song. And now they're making this movie and they still think that song is a big deal, but it's not, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it just, it feels very out of touch and not, not good. <laughs> so yeah, it's not great. No, it, it definitely went out with a whimper instead of a firecracker show of this franchise. Is there anything redeeming of these movies to you? Like, do you like anything in them? Ah, uh, no, but they're like, as I said, the first two I find <laughs> funny. See, I wasn't. I'm I'm with you in the first one, but in the second one, it's two hours and fifteen minutes, so I maybe get very upset. <laughs> maybe it's because I had a great plate of hot wings when I was eating or when I was watching. <laughs> I remember distinctly um, for the Kissing Booth two. I had just gotten a, a plate of hot wings and I watched it. So that, that probably amazed, helped. I'm amazed you remember that. That's so funny. <laughs> they were good. They were good wings. I do remember that. So I think that definitely helped my uh, helped me get through the two hour, 15 minute runtime. This one on, on a good note is shorter. This one's only 150 or so with 10 plus minutes of credits. The Kissing Booth movie should be 90 minutes. That's just, <laughs> if you're going to name your movie The Kissing Booth, it can only be 90 minutes. That's how, that's yeah, how I live that, my life. That second one being 214 is insane. And that's yeah. another thing that kind of makes me say, yeah, they, they are completely burnt out. Like, oh, usually absolutely. the third one's the longest in a trilogy, right? Yeah. It's not 25 yeah, it's years shorter. Return of the King, you know? <laughs> right. Like, it's it's crazy. But because well, it's uh, weird. Because, yeah, because <laughs> this entire movie, there's nothing that happens except people yelling at each other because of, like, like we said, like, they just, like, they heard something or, like, they saw someone get a little too close to someone who kind of had a thing for them in the past. So they're like, wait, you like them again. Like, this is awful. My whole life's ruined and it's so bad. And then uh, it's just, my brain hurts. My brain hurts watching this. And then it's just like, the other thing is 
they're all upset because they're leaving they're uh, losing their beach house that's the <laughs> that's the only it's like oh my god just like it's white privilege the movie so many white, oh they're like, they're really upset when the beach house they're oh they're my god it. it's just they're they're all so rich and it's just all full of rich white people being like <laughs> oh no i can't go to berkeley i have to go to harvard and that's the oh, entire movie <laughs> very strange very strange they're, they're calling her saying uh have you made up your mind yet? <laughs> yeah, it's like that's not how college admissions work at all. My favorite was that that was not my favorite. It's the worst, but at the end of the second one, where it's graduation day, mm. and she's getting her acceptance letters from Berkeley and Harvard, it's like it's like no, Vince Marcello or how, Mar- Marcello Marcello, the director, however you say your name, like you f- you figure that shit out like by March at the latest, then yeah. you already figure it out like. No, that's not how this works, guys. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. It's, it's rough, but that is it. Hopefully that's it. I mean, it's the end of the era on the posters, and I do feel like that'll be it. So uh, I think we're done with these. One can only hope. Yeah. One can only hope. I think <laughs> that, um, I hate to say it with my guy, Joe Courtney, but I feel like, you know how in Twilight, where either everyone went on to be super famous or nothing at all, I think Joe Courtney could be... Uh, he could be our new uh, what's like what's his face wolf guy. I can't even oh, think of his Terry name. Lautner, yes. yeah. Yeah, he could be Lautner. he could be, he could be Lautnered and be out of well, here. We can check back in five years. Maybe uh, Joe Courtney will be popping up with some Adam Sandler movies. Who knows? Because <laughs> I do think I think uh, Joey King and Jacob Lordy are really talented. So I hope you know they're starting to get older now. They're probably what like twenty two. They're probably twenty two year olds playing eighteen in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, how old is Joey King? She was born in 99. 22, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I hope they start to get good roles that are outside of this, because I think they're both interesting. Um, so I just hope I never have to talk about a Kissing Booth movie ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think they are going to go on to do some good things. I know Joey King well, at least, because she seems... She, she's pretty popular now. Like, she, yeah. she's a big, big name among uh, younger people. So yeah, I, I think they'll they'll be just all right, and they can look back on this with uh, fond memories. I'm sure. <laughs> Do you think this is gonna have a tale? Like, cause Twilight, it's its own can of worms. We talked about it for what, like an hour in a previous podcast. Um, but that one has endured. You know, like people still really talk about those movies and like them, like like without even joking like do you think these movies endure at all or do people that like them now grow up and watch them in 10 years and they're like whoa these were actually terrible and they have awful messages about how to treat people (laughs) i don't think they're gonna last i think with a lot of netflix biggies in general it'll be just there and gone and maybe the fact that it's three movies it'll add to maybe a little bit of a tale but who knows but i i do think for um for uh, the one actor there you mentioned that you think is going to go on to do something decent. Um, I forget his name. Jacob Lordy? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think for him, he'll be referred to as the kissing booth guy for a while. Because I, I don't know anything else he's in. Whereas with Joby King, I know uh, some other stuff she's in. Uh, especially that one miniseries about that wild uh, mother and uh, the daughter uh, that story. Oh, yeah. There. Is that the act? Is that what that's yeah, called? Yeah, the act, yeah. I mean, she was in Dark Knight Rises long, long while back. She's been in a lot of things. Yeah, um, Conjuring, too. Yeah, Yeah. so, I mean, with him, I think he'll be the, the Kissing Booth guy for a while. Yeah, he's going to be in that uh, Deep Water movie, the Ben Affleck, Andy Armas one, which apparently might be a turkey, 
because they've gone back for reshoots and Ben Affleck's directing them and not Adrian Lyne, who was the original <laughs> director. So that's not good. And the fact that they were, that Affleck and Armas were dating and now they're not just makes it not great. But yep. he's, in, he's in Euphoria, um, which yeah. I think he's good in that. Um, he was really good in The Mortuary Collection, a horror movie I saw last year at the Fantasia Film Festival. And he's in one... Um, it's like a it's an anthology movie it's in, mm. he's in one snippet of it as this douchebag uh, frat guy and he's really good in it it almost feels like it's like a direct contrast to the character he's playing in this you know <laughs> where he's playing that same douchebag but it's there's a point to it like in this movie yeah. he's just really abusive and horrible um, I don't think the movie understands how like how toxic <laughs> like Noah is <laughs> to everyone he meets in these movies so um He's good. I think he's a really good actor who needs to just be in better things. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see him in some other stuff. That's good to yeah. know. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that seems to be it with the kissing booth. I don't think we'll have to talk about it ever again. So good night, kissing booth. And um, as always, thanks a lot, Nick, for coming on. It's a pleasure. I'm really happy we got the kissing booth to bed. Don't have to talk about it ever again. This is this yeah. is great. Can't wait to talk about uh, respect for every podcast and stuff. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, as always, though, you can check out uh, Move Valve content, content on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that. And obviously, all the good stuff on moviedevil.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Movie Devil Podcast.